Welcome, everybody, to episode number 49 of the Average Jake Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Owens, from the Average Jake Firefighter Blog. Um, I had to pull kind of an audible on uh, this month or or this episode because, uh, one, it's been just super, super busy here at the house. Um, I mean, not to get too much into my my personal life, but, uh, man, it's been – some of the stuff's been absolutely great. Uh, You know, got to spend uh, spring break at uh, a campground close to us uh, where I have a permanent camping site. And my mom and my dad and a couple of my aunts and uncles and my brother, we – and all my nieces and nephews and then some of my cousins, their kids got to come down and uh, we got to spend a tremendous, tremendous spring break there. And it was just really, really good. And, and man, I've just been so busy doing the family guy thing that and working, of course, uh, caught a really, really good fire last cycle. Um, just, just an amazing, just amazing stuff been going on. Uh, even with some of the negative things at, at my job, there's been some good stuff going on and just, uh, and really just a good, really, really, really good stuff at home. But then man, you know, like anything else, it's a roller coaster. And, uh, you know, again, not to get too much into the personal life, but one of my kids got injured, had to get stitches. One of my kids tested positive for COVID that he got exposed at school. So they're both here. At the, and since, you know, since they got the, the younger one exposed to the older one now in the house, they're on quarantine and all this kind of stuff. And it just, uh, it's delayed me getting some of these episodes out. And I was going to, as we approach my 17th year in my current fire department, I was going to kind of do a, a version two of the anniversary episode that I did last year that got a lot of good, uh, good, good reviews and good, you know, good feedback from that. And, uh, just kind of give an update on where I was in my career and where I feel like I'm going and, and everything. And, but, uh, then just yesterday, and this is something that I've had in the hopper and I was doing some research on it, but, uh, just yesterday, Leo Stapleton, the famed Boston fire commissioner and fire chief passed away. And I had wanted to do kind of like a similar, like uh, book review thing or episode with his two of his books that I think are the greatest ones that he wrote 30 years on the line and commish. Um, he wrote over, I believe 12 or 13 books. Uh, some were, uh, some were, you know, nonfiction, you know, talking about his career and the other were, were fiction works where he talked about just like kind of based these characters on his career, but he had like a, a long, uh, you know, like series of books where he had that followed the same characters throughout their career in the Boston fire department, um, clearly based on his time in the Boston fire department, but, you know, just, you know, not the, uh, the true stories, I guess, if you were to, of Leo Stapleton. And when he passed away, like I knew I had to push, this episode to the front because there's so many people, one, who don't even know about Leo Stapleton. There's so many people who have never heard of him, have never read his books. And be quite honest, some of his books are hard to find. The uh, 30 Years on the Line, uh, my sister-in-law got that for me in like a thrift shop. I I had asked for it for Christmas for the last couple years and just couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And she was just in a thrift shop and saw it and was like, is this the book you want? And I was like, yeah, uh, that's great. where'd you find it? You know, and, uh, and, and she was like, oh, I'll get it for you. You know, so that was awesome to, uh, to be able to get that book and read it and consume it. And so what I wanted to do today in this episode is talk about Leo Stapleton and, and dive into some of the, the, the knowledge and just the, 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 
the advice and some of his just some of his writings um, and what they mean to me and what they and, and, and to be honest with you, as you read some of these things aren't much different today than what Leo Stapleton uh experienced in his career. They had riots and they had, you know, and they had to deal with diversity and they had to deal with new equipment and they had to deal with fires and they had to deal with all these things. And you can see the difference, which is, you know, from 30 years on the line to commish how his views evolved and how his views changed a little bit. Um, but still he was a very open and honest guy and that's why he was so well respected. And to me, I'll be honest, that's something that's lacking today in the American fire service, especially with leaders, you know, everyone wants an authentic leadership leader or authentic leadership until someone's authentic with them. Um, you know, I consistently get told that my style uh, of leadership, of being honest, you know, as honest as I can be. Obviously, there's there's things that you can't talk about. There's things that involve people and personnel that you can't talk about at the kitchen table. But 90% of the time, if someone asks me my opinion on a fire or a uh, or an evolution or an idea that the fire department's doing, I give my honest answer. And I get told by my bosses a lot of the time that that's inappropriate or undermining the mission of the division and and so on and so forth. But you know, I just, it's funny that, you know, the fire, the guys at the firehouse table really appreciate that style, but man, when you start to get into that executive level, it's not so much appreciated anymore. And that kind of baffles me, which is probably why I'll never be there. Um, but anyway, I digress there. Let's, that's what I wanted to do with this episode. Again, I had to kind of call an audible and I wanted to really delve into, uh, 30 years on the line and commish, uh, so it, that's where this episode's going to go. You know, thank everybody for listening so far to these, uh, 48 episodes, now 49 episodes, uh, of the average Jake firefighter podcast. Um, again, like I've always told you, I'm not the type of guy that's going to, uh, just push out content to push out content. Uh, that's not what I do. I want to make sure that when you pop earbuds or headphones into this thing, that it's valuable to you, uh, that you're not just wasting your time listening to me. And I, and I hear so many of these podcasts that just push out shit to push out shit. And I apologize for cursing, but that's just, that's just not my style. I've never written that way. I don't teach that way. I just, it, it, it has to mean something to me. And if it, if I don't think it's very good, then I'm not going to publish it. I'm not going to put. I'm not going to put out four podcasts a month just so that you keep clicking. Uh, that's not what I do. If other people are, other people are very successful at that, and and that's great. But I want every episode to have value. So if if it's a month or two between episodes, then that's just what it is. Uh, but you can rest assured that if I published it, I at least thought it was worth you listening to. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. Let's cover thirty years on the line and commish by Leo Stapleton. The most important part of running a fire department is to never lose sight of the organization's mission. It is pretty easy to become distracted by bureaucratic technicalities, particularly if you've come from the field. But you must always remember, we firefighters were hired for no other reason than to save lives and property. When I visited headquarters one day prior to becoming commissioner, 
I observed two uniform members having a deep discussion about the new word processors, which were for serious, which were just installed. While this high-tech conversation was occurring, a second alarm was struck for a serious fire downtown. These two members had become so remote from firefighting as a result of their assignments that they kept talking about the equipment and never noticed the fire was in progress. I believe the new chief executive would be wise to gather all the non-firefighting staff, both civilian and uniformed. He should emphasize that while each of their duties is essential, the main thrust of everything they do must have primary goal of assisting the firefighter who has the dangerous job of delivering the public the service we provide. That is uh, from a supplement that came with Commish by Leo Stapleton, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to cover two of Chief Stapleton's uh, most famous books, in my opinion, 30 Years on the Line and Commish. Uh, 30 Years on the Line covers his li- his career from firefighter to deputy chief, and Commish covers a little bit of the deputy chief's stuff, and then all the way until he's the fire commissioner uh, and fire chief and until he retires. Um, the guy had a historic career, historic career. If you've never heard of Leo Stapleton, then uh, you need to Google him, you know, look up his stuff. I mean, it, it is, it's insane. Uh, just the things that this guy got to do, the, 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 everything that he got to do and his books are just ridiculously good. Um, you know, they tell, there's little tidbits in here. They're not leadership books, but it's kind of like what, uh, you know, it's kind of like what Jocko would say about uh, David Hackworth's book uh, about face. It's not a leadership book, but it's a leadership book, right? Like if you just pay attention to it and you listen and you read the things that they're talking about in there, it will give you a roadmap on how to be a good leader. And to me, uh, these books are the map and the example of the type of firefighter, company officer, chief officer that you need to be. If you read them and truly, truly read them and highlight some of the fra- and highlight some of the phrases in there, and and and, and I'm going to cover some of that in this episode. But if you truly, truly, truly read them and you analyze them and you just read the chronicles of Leo Stapleton, you're going to find that this is the way that you should be as a firefighter. This is the way that you should be as a fire chief. Uh, especially like I got a lot out of 30 years on the line, but man, I got a ton out of commish, uh, when he just talks about his leadership style and how the fire department should be run. Uh, it, it, it really made me, it made me just, you know, almost romanticize like what that, what that fire service was and how much I wish that it could kind of return to that a little bit, you know, not maybe, maybe not all the way, right? Because there's some things that are, that, that are, that are past that are supposed to be in the past, right? But man, just some of the attitudes and some of the dedication and some of the just, you know, for lack of a better term, just some of the willingness to work that Leo Stapleton has the example of is just, uh, it's amazing. And, and it, and it makes me, it makes me, you know, pine for that. It really does. It almost makes me think that I was born too early, uh, or, or rather too late, rather. Um, you know, I missed that generation. I came in, uh, to the fire service when I was 15 years old and that was right in the you know, mid to late nineties when, uh, and Leo Stapleton retired in 1991. 
uh, as the commissioner of the Boston Fire Department. Um, and like we talked about in the intro, doing this episode because he passed away uh, just the other day. And so I had wanted to do this for a while and I was waiting for the right time. And it kind of just, to me, this feels like the right time so that there are people out there because I know there are people out there. When I teach in our acting officer school, when I talk to young firefighters about, you know, historic firefighters in our, in our job and in our, uh, in our, in our trade, you bring up Leo Stapleton, some of them have no idea who you're talking about. So I wanted to, to cover this so that there was, you know, a, a, a chronicling and digital, uh, you know, reference point to Leo Stapleton and how great he was. So without further ado, let's get into it. We're going to go through 30 years on the line first, and we're not going to read every chapter. In fact, I'm not even going to read, you know, like long, long periods uh, in the book because I want you to go find this book. I want you to go read it for yourself. But there are tidbits that I want to cover in here. There are things that I want to cover, and I want to talk about what they mean to me as far as uh, as far as that. And uh, so we're starting with 30 years on the line. Uh, and he starts with uh, just some of the things that – so the, right – they sent out the thing for uh, for like deputy chief, and uh, they talk about the qualifications for it. And he talks about uh, what he would do, what he would write, and this is kind of how this leads into that, the qualifications or for the pamphlet he would write if he was going to hire uh, the right person. And it starts with number one. Knowledge of fires and firefighting is the prime requirement. Applicant will be will obtain this only by practical experience. You gotta keep going to them, baby. Uh, man, right off the bat, he starts with the, the the hammer, like you know, and so many. And I get it. We're in a little bit different times. It's a lot more for whatever reason. Our country and our government is a lot more politicized. But man, if you're a fire chief, if you're a deputy chief, if you're you still got to keep going to fires. The the job is gonna pass you by. And that's why a lot you see a lot of these guys and gals they start to seek less hazardous duty because they lose. Their knowledge base for the fire ground. They they don't go to classes anymore. They don't come to fires. They don't come to fires. And a lot of them will tell you that it's not their job anymore. It's not their job anymore. No, it still says firefighter in your job title. You're the deputy fire chief, or you're the battalion fire chief, or the assistant fire chief, whatever you have in your department, or you're the fire chief or fire commissioner. You still need to keep going to fires. You still because the job changes, and if you take yourself out of the main mission of our job that you're going to lose touch. And the guys in the field know it. They see it. They know you don't know how to take command of a fire. They know you're not up on it. They can see it. And so when you do show up, they know you're just there to glad hand. You know, they know you're just there to, they know you're not going to be there to help them. They know you're not going to be there to, to do anything positive for them, except just to see what they do. Number two, ability to pass the knowledge on to subordinates. You got to teach them to keep them alive. Again, I think that's something we've talked about a million times on this podcast, you have to be able to spread knowledge. You have to be able to share knowledge. You have to be able to teach people. That is something that I really struggled with uh, as a young firefighter, right? Like I didn't understand why, and again, it's a, it's a canned class, right? But I didn't understand why to be an officer, you needed to have a background as an instructor. You needed to have instructor one and instructor two in, in our fire department, or at least instructor one. Um, I didn't understand that until someone pulled me aside and was like, hey, man, part of being a company officer is being an instructor. How are you going to teach the new guy if you don't have any sort of way or method to teach them or there, or anything like that? So, man, I, 
that is paramount. And it's something that I deal with quite often as a company officer is having to teach people. Knowledge of men and how to handle them. Sure, you got to take care of them, treat them impartially, and do the other stuff that's written down. But you also have to treat them with respect and humanity as individuals. They don't want to be babied, but they don't want an unfeeling marionette who cranks out orders like a machine. There's a narrow line between the two extremes that is essential to good leadership. And I, and I, I can't say that any better, so I'm not even going to make any comments on it except for the fact that it's all true. Uh, I don't think that firefighters want to be babied, but I don't think they want to be treated like they're they're just robots, and they don't want to be treated like they don't care. And I feel like as organizations get larger, um, you see that where people become just numbers and not people anymore. Uh, in smaller organizations, you tend to see less of that. You tend to see people are, are more faces uh, than just names on a spreadsheet. And as organizations get larger, you just continue to see that degrade um, and, and I see it in my fire department, you know, you become, you don't become, it doesn't really matter what you do on your day off. It doesn't really matter what classes you take or what your ability is. It's, are you, are, did you show up to work? And that's the only thing that matters. We got to fill that seat. And lastly, his number four, above all, be decisive. Men would rather get direction and orders that they disagree with than nothing. An old sea captain once said, when they come to you with a problem, remember one thing. They want a decision. They have already discussed the issue amongst themselves and couldn't resolve it. Now it's up to you. You are the final say. It does not really matter whether the decision you make in a particular instance is right or wrong, as long as you make it. Well, this may not always apply to firefighting decisions. It's good advice for handling men. Uh, yeah, and again... One of the biggest knocks you hear on any company officer at any time is they won't make a decision. They're indecisive. They won't make a decision, and that is that is 100% true. People just want you to make up make up your mind. People want you to make a decision. They don't want you to waffle. They don't you know they don't really want trial periods. To be quite honest with you, it's like hey no we're doing this and this is how we're doing it and this is how we do business. A lot of people and even if they don't like the decision, it's like well you know the boss made the decision. We got to roll with it. When you're indecisive, that kind of leads to to just other undermining, and it's not good. Uh, and again, that's right in the very first chapter, uh, one of the very first chapters. I think it's like page uh, – I don't even know what page it is. Uh, yeah, it's like page five and six of the of the book 30 Years on the Line. So he hits you with some of these wisdom not, you know, knowledge nuggets right off the bat. And so if that doesn't fire you up when you start reading this book, then, uh, then I don't know what will, I don't know what will. Um, so he goes on in the book and, uh, this is actually on page 36 of the book and it's, uh, all it's, it's, uh, called the chapter, uh, what do you mean dead fish? And, uh, it starts off, and this is something I really thought was was funny, and because I, I feel like there's a lot of firefighters out here like this today, and, and it's and I wanted to highlight this because I don't think it's any different. Uh, you know, Chief Stapleton had the same thing going on that we do today, and there's there's firefighters that get into this job for the wrong reasons, or they get into the job for the right reasons, and they quickly discover that this ain't for them. This ain't gonna work for them. This is uh, this is not gonna be uh, where, or they're gonna stay on, but they have other interests that are more important to them. And so he's talking about the guy uh, who's a fire company guy, but he's in charge of the training academy, and he calls this guy the weasel. 
Uh, so I'll back to the book here. The weasel was the watchman on this particular day, and he was doing what he does best, fishing for flounder off the dock. The weasel is one of a small number of guys who came on the job, went to a few fires, and came to the conclusion that a guy could get killed here if he wasn't careful. He soon came, he soon came down with an illness known as firefighter's triple disease. It happens to guys who really like the job except for three things. Heat, smoke, and fire. These characters migrate rapidly to less hazardous duty and lived charmed lives by selecting the right horses in the political wars that are fought every four years in the city. The weasel was a top-notch political warrior and a great fisherman, and he kept the academy spotless because that's one of the requirements, and there was no way he was going to screw that up and go back to a fire company. And I, I, again, I included that because, man, you, we all know a guy. We all know of the weasel, right? Like we all can look at our own fire departments and we can see the people that they start at a busy company and they go to a couple calls and really fast they go, man, I really like this schedule and man, I like the pay for the amount of time that I work and I love being able to be off uh, five days in a row and, and run my part time business. But man, I ain't trying to get killed doing this. Uh, in fact, you know, my brother, uh, who was helping train someone uh, in his fire department to become an acting officer, that guy said to him, hey, man, I don't take this job as seriously as some of you do. Wow. I mean, OK, uh, I don't know how how you can take a job that can kill you not serious, but we see it every day. I'm in a fire department of 600 people, and there are people there that don't take it serious. They don't want to train. They don't want to read periodicals. They don't want to read books like 30 years on the line. They don't want to get out there and, and, and do the things that are necessary to be good at their job. And they're there for the paycheck, and they're there for the pension, and they're there for the off time. And you know we need them to fill the seats but uh, to, in reality, they're probably more dangerous than if we had less people there, uh, you know. So, and again, and they do seem to leave the live these charmed lives, and some of them are even wearing collar brass, right? Like, and, and I know you can look at your department and pick out that person. Uh, you can look at your department and go, man, that guy, he did everything that he could to get off a fire engine. He did everything that he could to not ride in the front seat anymore. He did everything that he could to get up into an office and never have to come pull a hose line again. Um, you know, and so I just I put that in there to highlight that, you know, this was, you know, Leo Stapleton's career spanned, you know, from the 50s to the 90s. And uh, I mean, good gosh, he, he's still experiencing some of the things we are experiencing here today in 2021. So I, I found that humorous. I found that, you know, kind of poetic that a lot of things in the fire service they, they don't change. They just, it, it's different people, different names, different clowns in the different circus. Um, so then we go uh, to something that's kind of poignant for today. Uh, it's, it's from the chapter, uh, I believe it's called Burn, yeah, it's called Burn Baby Burn. And it talks about uh, the riots in Boston in 1967, would be which became known as the welfare riots or the police riot, depending on which side you were on. And uh, he talks about like the fires that they went to and all the things that that happened when he was on duty uh, for the riot. He talked about the racial slurs passed between both people, the rioters and the firefighters and the police officers. Um, but then he, at the very end of the chapter, page 107. 
Um, and I was reading this book in between like, like Christmas, right? So I was reading this book and I even made a note today, uh, at, at the, when I read this, I read this probably in December of 2020 and I finished this book probably January, 2021. So I wrote the date, uh, with it as well. And, uh, at the very end of the chapter, he just has this little line that said, it's too bad relations declined so badly and there really hasn't been much improvement, but you got to keep hoping for the, for the present. If you're a Jake in the big city, keep the left hand high and the riot shield handy. You'll need it eventually. And I wrote uh, in that, in that little, like in the margins of the book, uh, same as today, 2020, um, because we've come off of these, these riots and especially like, and there's still, some of them are still going on, you know, some of them are still going on. This is March of 2021, and we've got riots still in the West Coast. We have people marching for various things, social justice. We have people marching, you know, but it, some people will march just you know, for whatever reason. I mean, it, it, today it doesn't seem like it takes much to have someone, you know, start a riot or start a march or, or, or anything. And, and, and I guess everyone feels that their cause is important. But uh, this happened in 1967 as well. And so has our country really gotten much farther along from the, all that long ago? And I would say no, right? Like we're still in the same place. We're still dealing with riots. Maybe we have a better way of dealing with them. You know, uh, you don't see a lot of firefighters carrying riot shields, but uh, you know, there are firefighting, there are firefighters that are wearing bulletproof vests under their turnout gear. Uh, there are firefighters that have been, you know, endangered. There are firefighters that have been injured, um, you know, in these riots, uh, you know, it, it's just, and, and it's even caused some turmoil in individual departments, right? Like we have, we have firefighters that and as firefighters, we're supposed to be part of a brotherhood, right? Like it's supposed to be a brotherhood. But, and, and that, and that is man, woman, uh, you know, uh, white, black, you know, whatever color you are, green, red, you know, Hispanic, Asian, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon, African-American, like it does, it's like when you become a firefighter, the way, the way that I was raised, we're supposed to be the ones that are together. I get it. You have to go back to your individual communities and, and sometimes you have to take a lot of crap because, you know, if you're an African-American and you're working with white firefighters or if you're a white firefighter and, and you're working with African-American firefighters or even Hispanic firefighters or whatever, like sometimes you have to take a lot of crap for that. I mean, I, I know I have and I know some of my friends have, but gosh, man, we're the ones that are supposed to be together. This is supposed to be a brotherhood. We're supposed to be the ones watching each other's back. And instead, we are consistently undermining each other. We undermine each other. You know, we don't get together outside of work much anymore. We, you know, it's, it's a passe thing. Or if we do, a lot of people are sticking to people, you know, sticking to their own as I hear it. Um, and that just makes me sad, man. That just makes me sad because that's not the fire service that I was brought up in. That's not the fire service that, that I believe there should be, right? Like we should not be assigning any of those things to ourselves and assigning any of those things to the people we help. Alarm goes off. We're a family. We watch out for each other and we go help whoever needs help. That's the fire service that I got into. That's the fire service that I was raised to believe in. And that's the fire service that we need to get back. We don't need uh, groups for white-only firefighters and African-American-only firefighters and Hispanic-only firefighters. We don't need that. 
We don't need those groups. We don't need that. We, you know, what we need, and we don't need fire group separate group for women firefighters. We we need one group for firefighters, right? For firemen, for firefighters. That's what we need. That's what we need because we need to be together because that's what this job is supposed to be. And and I pine for that time. And and, and at one time I believed that it was like that. Um, but today it just seems like it continues on and, and it just continues to get worse and worse. And it's gotten to the point now where you can't even talk at the kitchen table anymore about anything without somebody getting upset and going to human resources. Uh, it, it, it's just a sad, sad time. A lot of the firehouse is people staring at their phones because they're scared to speak on a topic. Um, I walk into firehouses every day. And it just and it just makes me sad because you know people are playing on their phones all day because they're scared to speak to another human because what if this guy takes me to human resources and I've been that guy right like like I've been the guy that's gotten taken up I've been the guy that's seen time on the street and it makes me sad for something that you know I did I thought was a was a nothing type thing uh, but it turned out that it really upset that person so you know for at the end of the day I guess that means he was right but. Gosh, it just is so sad. Like 10, 20 years ago, that would have never happened, right? Like that would have never happened. We would have handled it uh, as as individuals. We would have talked it out and then we would have – maybe we wouldn't have parted as friends, but we would have at least shaken hands at the end of the day and we would have said, hey, all right, well, we're not friends, but we can work together. Um, and I just feel like we need that fire service back and I feel like that's kind of a – and just even in 1967, it was things that were happening in the Boston Fire Service. Um, moving on in the book uh, to the chapter on new fire lieutenants, just a really quick, uh, just a really quick little like blurb, a sentence really, uh, in the book when it's uh, when Chief Stapleton is talking about what he's looking for in a new lieutenant, and you know talking about all these people that are you know that are studiers and all that kind of stuff and and you know and and how good you know and and especially today and I and I put this in there as well because today you know it seems to be that the guys that are getting promoted they don't really have a lot of fire knowledge but man do they make some great spreadsheets man they do really good reports man you know like you know that's the stuff that seems to be outweighing fire service knowledge and fire ground knowledge and i get it that at certain levels that's the stuff that is probably important right but as we talked about earlier you still got to go to fires you still got to learn your fire stuff even though i don't care if you're the logistics chief you still got to know how to go to a fire because you might roll up on one one day you still got to know how to take command you still have to know how to make decisions if you're walking around with that collar brass and you don't know how to run a fire then I think that you're fooling yourself thinking you're still a firefighter. I think you're fooling yourself to think that the people have your respect because they don't. Um, and so just this little quick blurb, again, it's it's the book, uh, it's the chapter on uh, on new fire lieutenants, and it's uh, page 181 in the book. And he talks about, I'm a lot more interested in how good a Jake this guy is than how good his morning report looks. Again, to speak to the fact that, hey uh, – What's more important here is how this guy runs a fire. He might not write and read as well as the other guy, but if he can run a fire and he can teach firefighters how to be safe, how to be good, effective firefighters, then that's the guy you want. If he can be a leader, okay, if he can be a leader, if he can lead firefighters into danger and do the right tactics and apply the right things and, and all of those things, that's more important than how his report looks, right? How, how he writes in the logbook back in those days or, you know, or how organized he is as far as like if you give him a, a spreadsheet or a project. 
That's who we need as fire lieutenants. That's who we need as company officers in general. We need firefighters that can take the next step. They don't necessarily have to be the most well-read or college-educated or anything like that or tech-savvy or anything. They need to be able to be good firefighters, good fire ground leaders, be able to lead and teach new firefighters to be safe and operate effectively. That's what we need to do, and that's who we need to be promoting. And again, you know, you're looking at 2020, uh, 2021 rather, I know that you can look in your fire department and you can see that that ain't always the case. That ain't always the case. It's usually the guy that can play the game the best. Um, there's a poor guy who I grew up with who has gone up for lieutenant a couple times now and he just can't get past that interview. He can't get past it. And he would be a phenomenal lieutenant. He's just, he's just not the most well-spoken guy. But he would be a phenomenal lieutenant. Do you know why? Because he's good on the fire ground. When he rides in charge of the engine, he makes all the right calls. When he's acting up uh, on the ladder truck or the engine, he makes all the right calls. When he's on the ambulance, he makes all the right calls. He's doing the right things. He's showing up. He's teaching new people the craft, all of these things. But he can't get past the interview. And some guy that went to college, some guy that you know is very well spoken, but is probably not the fire ground leader that this guy is, will get that promotion and he won't. And that's just the reverse of what it is. Like if you're a fire lieutenant, you're going to be in a company officer and you're going to be in that company officer role. We really need to be looking at what we're promoting and who we're promoting. Um, again, once they get to that chief officer level, okay, maybe you do need a little more of those things. Again, you still need to go to fires, but but uh, I think that we just need to look at it. And again, Chief Stapleton hits it right on the head with I'm a lot more I'm a lot more interested in how good a Jake this guy is than how good his morning report looks. Um, and I am as well. I'm more interested in how good a firefighter is. Uh, I can I can help them out with the uh, I can help them out with the uh, with the day sheet or any of the other programs that we have. Right. Like we can we can figure that out together. Um, he moves on. Uh, and This is on page uh, 197. This is on page 197. He's talking about uh, just, you know, uh, what a good firefighter is and. And uh, one of the guys he uses to uh, one of the guys he uses to to talk about like how good this guy is and just the detail that he had in the job and just the, the love of firefighting and and like the little things that this guy did that made him so good is a guy he calls George. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, and it's something that we we deal with today, dealing with uh, response times and stuff like that. And one of the things that really stuck out to me. And this is the level of detail that this guy put into. He was a driver. And this is the level of detail that he had in order to make sure that he could respond as fast as possible. So he could be first due or, or whatever. Just get out the door to serve the citizens. Uh, and so we'll go to the book here, page 197. George always believed that you couldn't make up time on the road. You had to get out of the house fast. He had a horizontal white stripe painted on the door jam. When the automatic door cleared the stripe, the engine could fit out of the door and George was gone. You better be with him. He made a study of every intersection in the district and knew which ones he could fly through and which ones required caution. He never had an accident, although no one took bets on him. Man, think of the level of detail you had to, I mean, think he painted a line on the door jam so that he knew once the door got to that, he knew that he could get out the out the door, out of the bay. That is next level detail. When I read that, I was like, my mind was 
almost exploded, right? Like, and it's something that like I, I wish people would do. Like we've started to go more toward uh, those bifold doors, but we still have a ton of firehouses that have roll-up doors. I mean, come on. That is next level stuff. That is next level thinking. And he's right. You can't make up time on the road. Even back in those days, you can't make up. You couldn't make time up on the road. You really can't now. Traffic is ridiculous. If you want to get to the scene fast, you got to get out of the house fast. You got to get in your gear. You got to get out. And that right there is just next level stuff. He measured the door so that he knew when the engine could fit underneath the door, so that he could leave. I mean, that's the kind of firefighters we want to be, right? That's the kind of firefighters that, I mean, and we can do that with not just talking about the door, right? We can do that with a, ho- a host of things. We can do that with with our nozzles, with our hose lines. With We can put that level of detail into just about anything. We can put that level of detail in our mask ups. I know one of the things that I do, and I, I stole this from somebody, I pre-size my mask every day. I come in, put it on, and I take the top straps, and I size them to my face, and I do the bottom straps, and then the only thing that I undo when I'm done sizing my, I undo the bottom straps. So when I mask up, all I have to do is pull the bottom straps tight and I'm ready to go. I don't have to fumble for four or five straps. Man, that's next level detail type stuff. And I didn't think of it. I stole it from somebody and I made it my own. Um, but this is the type of stuff that we need to be. And this is the chronicling of the type of firefighters and that example that I talked about. Just amazing, amazing things. Um, the last thing we'll cover in, uh, 30 years on the line, which is on page 220 in 30 years on the line, uh, this is, uh, and it's from the chapter, uh, the black secret. Um, this is a, a, a person that, uh, chief Stapleton is talking about and he talks about, you know, just the type of just the great leader that this guy was. And this is why I wanted to end on this with 30 years on the line. We're still got things to cover in the book commish. Um, but I thought it was just such a great example of leadership and, and how to be and, and where we need to get back to, because unfortunately, again, a lot of times these guys that get promoted, it's all about their journey. It's all about their goals. It's all about what they're trying to accomplish in their career. It's not about, you know, very few people, at least I see today, take that promotion as an opportunity to serve others. Uh, they take promotions to serve themselves. They take promotions to get a raise. They take promotions because they want to go to the next spot. They take promotions because they're seeking a title and they're seeking validation for themselves. They're not seeking to serve others. They're not seeking – like a lot of these people don't don't see that as the end result for them. They see that, oh, I can make more money if I get promoted, so I'm going to do that. They, they don't do it for the right reasons. And he's talking about all the things that the secret was. And so we'll go back to the book again, page 220. He was a true believer in the dignity of man. He believed when you were given a command over men, you were accepting an important responsibility. You're going to be making decisions constantly that could result in serious injury or even death to them. And that could not be taken lightly. But your responsibility did not end when the man went off duty. If, you, if he had trouble at home, you were duty-bound to help him. After all, he was one of yours, wasn't he? The secret did not, however, believe in babying men. 
He believed that all the average guy wants is a fair shake. He doesn't want to be abused, but he doesn't want to be treated like a kid. He wants direction in his work, and it must be firm and decisive. He would much rather get an incorrect order than no order at all. The secret used to say, I treat them all the same, rotten, but no one would agree with the last word. He had a voice that could be heard blocks away, and it was familiar sound in the south end when you heard the secret yell, ladder three, get the stick up. One chief always claimed he could hear him before he got to the street the fire was on, and he would start pulling up his boots because he knew he was going to work. I mean, that's just... Right? Isn't that the type of leader that we all want? Isn't that the type of leader that we all are striving to be? We want to take care of our people. We want to take care of the firefighters under our charge. We want to help them out. We want to make sure they're okay. We want to make sure, and maybe some of it's selfish, right? Like uh, maybe some of it is is selfish because we don't want them to make us look bad. We want them to be good firefighters. We want them to be healthy to serve the citizens. But at the whatever your motivation is for that, right? Like we've got to take care of our people. And that was something that uh Leo Stapleton he highlighted amazingly uh in that little passage about that company officer that he that he knew and, and spoke of. I mean, what an amazing just example. And again, all the way through 30 years on the line, you should see the example of how we should be and see the example of what we should really be looking for and see the example of all of these things. And I know great fire officers and great fire chiefs who have read these books and they just have lost their way, right? They've lost their way. And so I encourage you to go get 30 years on the line, try to find it. It's very hard to find, but it's well worth it. It's well worth the journey. Uh, to find 30 years on the line. But uh, that's not the only book Leo Stapleton wrote, like we talked about. He wrote uh, right around 12, 13 books, uh, some of them uh, fiction books about a series of, you know, some of them were called uh, like like Luffs and Captain and Deputy and all this stuff. And those were, those were like fiction books, but then he wrote these nonfiction books. And again, 30 years on the line, being, in my opinion, is one of the definitive works of the fire service. Just an amazing chronicle of his career and amazing example of what a firefighter, a fire officer, and a fire chief should be. And that was 30 years on the line covered his career from firefighter all the way to deputy chief. And then after that, he wrote Kamish, um, to which Kamish is his chronicling from right at the end of his deputy chief career to when he became commissioner of, of the Boston Fire Department. From about, uh, I believe it was 84 to 91, somewhere around in there. Uh, and I know he retired in 1991 uh, from the Boston Fire Department. So we're going to delve into commission now. And again, same way we did with 30 Years on the Line. I'm not going to read every book, every you know chapter. I'm not going to read even a lot of long stints. But uh, there are some things in here. Because I want you to read the book. I want you to read the book and I want to speak to you. Because these are things that spoke to me when uh, when I read these books. And things that I underlined and wrote in the margins. And, and I tend to do that because I tend to experience my book. I feel like I get more out of every book that I read if I've got a pen in my hand and I can write down the thoughts that come into my head. And I can reference them when I go back. I write them. I underline passages that mean something to me. I write down things that mean something to me at the time that I'm reading it. And I usually write the date so that I can remember when I wrote it and why I thought that way, right? Because I can remember like in in, in 2010, I might be, maybe felt differently than I do right now in, in in 2021. So, um, it's, it's awesome to go back and be able to look at some of those notes. So, uh, again, without further ado, commish 
we'll get right into it. Um, and this is uh, this is something that where that, and this is right in chapter two. In chapter one, he really talks about like he's preparing for an interview uh, that he talks about, and 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 we've talked about this enough on the podcast. But he he talked to, even in chapter one about how uh, you know he's being interviewed by this guy, and he feels like he's done a million interviews, and he and he actually one of the things he he feels like he never talks about is other kids that aren't in the fire service because uh, and they never mention them in the articles or whatever. And he tells his wife all the time that he talks about them, but the reporters never put them in. So he's he's like, I hope I don't get yelled at this time. Um. You know, so like I said, his other book, 30 Years on a Live, covered up to 1981. And then uh, he goes to, uh, and the reporter even says, the book covered the job up to 1981, and the reporter says he read it, but an awful lot happened in the last eight years. Uh, so that's why he chose to write Commish. So we'll get into chapter two. Uh, it's entitled, Then Then There's the Other Guys. And... Uh, this is a quick little passage. It's right on uh, page five at the beginning of the chapter. During the course of his career, he will go through several mental stages that include the initial fear and anxiety when he starts going to fires, the excitement that is experienced when responding to an alarm, the determination to accomplish the task as his knowledge of firefighting increases with experience, the exhilaration and satisfaction that occur upon completion of a successful operation that may include the saving of a life as well as the saving of property, the frustrations that occur with the loss of lives, the sadness that comes with the loss of a friend, the boredom that exists when there's nothing doing for an extended period, the apprehension that starts to set in when he realizes that his mind and body are aging and that he no longer has either strength or desire to keep pushing and driving to obtain the to attain the objective, and finally the knowledge that it's all over and time to wrap it up. And that's uh, I included that in there because man, one that's just an extremely wise and accurate depiction of a firefighter's career. Correct. Um, I am somewhere, and 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 I want you to take that statement. I want you to kind of analyze where you're at uh, in in your career, right? Um, I know for me, I'm somewhere in that middle stage, right? I have uh, been in the fire service since I was 15 years old. Um, I worked in a career department before I came to my current department. So I've got uh, – and here in Virginia, we have the Virginia retirement system. A lot of fire departments are in the Virginia retirement system. So my retirement started – my retirement contributions started when I got hired in that first fire department when I was 20 years old. So I have 17 years in our uh, – I have 17 years – in my current department, but I have 19 years in uh, the Virginia retirement system. You only need 25 to reach a full retirement, um, and, so, and I'm only 39 years old. So, but in order to draw your retirement, you do have to go to 50. Uh, so, but I know that I'm somewhere in that middle ground, right? Like I've, uh, man, I've gotten, to, I've, you know, overcome the the initial fears and, and quite frankly, overcame them quite early in my life just because I started so young, right? Like, you know, guaranteed the first time I went to a fire, I was a little bit nervous, um, you know, especially because I wanted to do the right stuff. But those things have gotten to the point where I'm right at now, like 
I'm so involved in the fire service and my brother and my brother said it best. It's not that there's no more surprises left, but man, we've been in this so long, more than, you know, longer than we, you know, we've been in the fire service longer than we weren't before we got in. And I've got more time on than I've got time left before I reach retirement age. You know, and so we're at this stage where we're pretty confident in our abilities. Like we've seen so much, read so much, trained so much that not that there's no surprises left, but things have definitely like it, – it's kind of like the, a quarterback in the NFL talks about how the game slows down for you. The game is extremely slow for me a lot of times, um, which is fine. And, you know, you go to these classes and you read so much. It's like, you know, I mean I've, I take so many notes when I go. Uh, I mean I've gone and I sit in a guy's class and I forget maybe that I've taken it, and then I go, oh, I've heard this. And I look back through my iPad where I keep a lot of my notes and go, yep. I took this class in uh, December of uh, 2019. Here's all the notes. And it's the exact same class over and over again. And I, that happens more and more regularly, uh, the you know, the more conferences. And I tend to go to a lot of conferences. I've gone to FDIC like 12 or 13 times. I've gone to Firehouse Expo uh, five, six times. I've gone to uh, the CFT conferences, Fireground Commander, like local conferences here. Um, nozzle for, I mean, like everything, right? Like I, I consume a lot of fire. When the pandemic happened and people stopped doing conferences, I was doing Zoom conferences. I did every one of those Elkhart Brass online conferences on Facebook and took notes for every stinking one of them. Um, you know, like it's, I'm just a note taker and I like to remember these things, which is funny because I haven't ever taken a lot of notes about my career. I take notes about classes, but I don't take a lot of notes about my career, which is kind of funny. Um, I really need to start doing that and I encourage you to do it as well. But I'm at that middle stage, right, where I do get more frustrated because I have a lot of knowledge and I get frustrated with newer firefighters that don't have the same passion. And I get frustrated when people don't know certain things like I get frustrated with sometimes the direction the fire service is going because it's not the fire service that I got into. I get frustrated with all of those things. And as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm not yet 40. I'll turn 40 in January, but I do feel a little bit different, right? Mentally, I don't feel any different than I did the day I walked in the door, but I do know I'm more sore. My sleep's not as good. I'm carrying around a few extra pounds, even though I work out five days a week. Uh, my knees hurt a lot. You know, uh, my shoulders hurt. We went to a fire last cycle and, uh, man, we wore air packs for probably three hours. And the next day I could barely lift my arm. I, I mean, I was hurting, you know, and I need to take naps, uh, more regularly than I ever did. You know, like I remember being 23 years old, still volunteering at my volunteer house. And I would go, you know, newly married kid on the way. I would go to work for 24 hours at one of the busiest stations in Henrico County, the, the busiest station in Henrico County. Work there for 24 hours, run anywhere. To, if you're on the ambulance, you might run 20 calls. If you're on the engine, you probably run anywhere from t 10 to 12, maybe 15. Ladder truck probably ran 6 to 10. So I was on the engine at that point. So you'd run, I'd run all night, then get up in the, in the morning, probably about 6.30, 7 o'clock, go to the volley house and run calls all day there, come home, stay up till midnight, you know, either having a beer, drinking video game, you know, uh, playing video games, doing whatever, stay up till midnight, get up at 5 a.m. and go do it again the next day. And no problem. No problem. Now, if I, the idea, just me saying that makes me just cringe. Like, there's no way. I, that doesn't even sound any fun. I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, it doesn't even sound like it's something I want to do. 
Um, but you know, so I'm in that kind of middle stage of my career, right? Like I'm in that, I've gotten the frustration and I'm starting to feel the, the, that this job does break you down and it, and it does and you have to continue your physical fitness regimen. But, but, uh, I'm, am, uh, I am on the downside of my career. Uh, you know, even if I were to work even longer than 50, I'm on the downside. Like I'm not, I'm never going to be what I was when I was 20. Uh, again, it's just not, it's just not possible. And so you start to realize that, and I'm nowhere close to being all over. Like, I definitely don't feel that part, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, I know that I'm not where I was when I first got started and it's gone by extremely fast. So that's why I wanted to include that in there. Um, you need to make that self-assessment for yourself and see where you're at. Uh, We'll move on in the book. Uh, this is, uh, from the chapter the end of a nationwide search. It's uh, page number 74 in the book. When a captain is promoted to chief, the wisest ones select the best firefighter from the company they're leaving as their aide. This guy will not only be responsible for getting them to a fire without killing them, he will be the chief's eyes and ears at the scene and will influence many of the decisions that are made. The company officers are usually so busy working with a with their own unit to control the fire that they cannot concentrate properly on sizing up the fire and reporting the information to the chief. The aide is the guy who tries to determine the location and extent of involvement, how the companies are doing, where the fire is going, and recommending what additional assignments are required. After he has worked with the chief officer for a while, they would get to know each other and how their minds work and their messages reflect that they are on the same wavelength. An experienced aide can be as valuable as a fire company in the right place at the right time. When the aides were eliminated, it was difficult to develop any sympathy for the chiefs with the public because the average citizen thinks they're just chauffeurs and unnecessary perks. Why doesn't that guy drive himself around? Man, I, I put that in there because this is a and it, this is something more personal to me. It's a struggle that my fire department is going through at the time. At this time, you know, we have pulled our captains out of this firehouses uh and now we are supposed to ride with uh our with the battalion chiefs and when the chief is off we're supposed to ride up in those spots and uh it's something that showed like just the value of having a command uh, an aide we call them command captains but it's something to me that just shows the value of that person and it's something that we're underutilizing. Uh, a lot of times we're transferring out to fill staffing gaps instead of riding with the chief and and we've had a mayday a mayday that, you know, I'm not saying it would have been, I'm not saying it would have been different if there was a, a, a chief's aide, but it could have been right. Like there was, you know, not as much command and control as maybe there should have been, you know, or, or could have been, uh, if that was, if that makes any sense, because, you know, we're trying to command a warehouse fire with, uh, with two people versus having three to four, um, you know, span of control, which we're sending, you know, four engines and five engines and three trucks and, you know, all this kind of stuff to a, to a fire. You're trying to command, you know, gosh, 27, 30 people with three people, there were two people. It, it doesn't go well, usually, even with command and control techniques and ICS and all those things. So just something that was like really super personal to me. And, and I think it applies to a lot of other fire departments. Like most of the, you know, we're in 2021 now, right? Like command and control is a big deal. Fires are burning hotter and faster, man. You've got to have enough people outside the building is just as much as you have to have inside the building. Uh, we need proper staffing on the fire engines, but we need proper staffing in command positions. And that's something that Leo Stapleton and the Boston Fire Department knew all the way back then. 
and uh, and it hurt them. It hurt them when they took those positions away. And so I think it's something that I, that I really like because of the phase of my career that I'm in right now, because of what my job is right now, it's something that really like smacked me in the face when I read this book. And uh, I even wrote like that note, you know, like, hey, this is us right now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're, we have this vision, but we really don't. Um, you know, it's just something that really like, and I think it's any big fire department, any, you know, we, you gotta be able to know where people are. And that's why, like, I tell people a lot that like, Hey man, my job as a command officer. Yeah. It's to, it's to pick the right strategy tactics, but it's really to make sure that I know where you're at in the building and I can send you help if you need it. Like, that's the most important thing. Like you guys will, will, you guys would normally pick the right strategy tactics, like pull the right hose line, put it in the right place without me. I don't need to be here for that. Like, you know, thank you for asking me when you get here, what do you want me to do? Uh, but really my job is to make sure that I know where you're at and I can send you help and I have the resources to send you help when you need it. And that's tough with one person. It's tough with two people. You know, it really is. And we have this cool software that, you know, will alert people. And also, but it takes a person to run it. It takes a person to run it. And that person can't be running the command board and running that MSA software. It can't happen. So we, we need to, it, you know, the fire, the fire engine staffing and having adequate staffing on the fire ground includes the chief officers in my mind. It includes uh, having enough command people there so that we can and getting them there fast enough so that they can make an impact. Someone showing up 20 minutes in doesn't do me any good, and it doesn't do the fire any good. So that's uh, that's what I kind of like highlighted that for because it's where I'm at in my career right now, and it's some of the struggles that I'm going through. Uh, moving on in the book, and uh, again, this is uh, from uh, It Ain't All Fun and Games, uh, one uh, page 156. Anyone who has not been in command of a fire really has no idea how much responsibility the officer in charge has over the lives and safety of those under his command. When something goes wrong, it does not matter how blameless you are. You will review and review all of your actions and always retain some guilt. And uh, man, if that isn't true. Um, uh, thankfully, I haven't had to experience any any super scary things like that, but you know, you're always going to take some, and guess what today in today's litigious society, you're always responsible. You're always the one that they're going to come after. You know, you're the chief or you are in command. Um, it's just, so you know, and I put that in there so that, you know, again, all the way back then in the early eighties, in the early eighties, chief Stapleton was trying to warn us about these things and, and trying to, to give us advice and trying to, he so it's something we could heed. Um, and, uh, you know, cause and that's just, you know, a reality of our job today. So really just some tremendous advice. And that's something that really uh, stood out to me. Um, this is a little bit longer portion. Um, it's from the, uh, I think I hear, heard the lady sing when he's kind of talking about the fat lady, talking about the end of his career. Um, and this is a couple little things. Uh, and I'm going to read this whole passage, so bear with me. Uh, from page 256, and this really highlights like how I feel uh, about modern fire chiefs. And this is all the way back in the 80s, right? Like, and so, but really, it applies today. It applies today, and so, and it's really how I feel about modern fire chiefs. I feel the same way Chief Stapleton does. Yep, you gotta manage, but you also have to keep going to fires. The practice the commission had started when he took the job had continued through his tenure. And that was another reason to be moving along. 
He could remember meeting the chief of a small suburban fire department who had been imported for what he perceived his managerial skills, but was probably due to his ability to adjust rapidly to whatever reductions the town council wanted to make. His record of doing this out west and down south was impeccable, and when introduced to the commish, he gushed, Commissioner, you and I are not really firefighters. What we are is managers of people. Don't you agree? Geez, I don't know, pal. I do go to a fire now and then, don't you? Goodness, no. I haven't been to a fire in years. The first thing I do when I take over a department is to tell the deputies that they are on their own. They don't, don't be bothering me with that nonsense if you can't handle a fire. How did you ever become a deputy chief? The guy then offered to come teach a class on firefighting for the commish as a thank you for Boston allowing some of his new recruits to attend drill school at the fire academy. He was a recognized expert on the incident command system as well as director of the Eagle Scouts for the BSA. Well, thanks for your generosity, but I think I'd have to offer to attend one of your classes first to see what you have to offer. I'd come watch one of your fires sometime, but since you won't be at the scene, it might be a little hard to evaluate your judgment. How are you at press conferences? Oh, excellent. I went to a class at the Carnegie Institute and received very high grades. I usually arrive at the scene to conduct the interviews, and they say I do extremely well. Some of the deputies seem to resent that, but I've heard them talk to groups, and there's a couple that are deplorable. They have to understand that I have the responsibility to run the entire department and the stress that goes with it. It's only fitting that I be the spokesperson as well. How many people on your department? 52, but we had over 60 when I came here. Yeah, and, a probably, yeah, and probably a few less when he leaves. Wonder if he shows for the press conference when they do a shitty job. Executive mobility courses don't include that scenario. Hey, listen. Maybe the nitwit is right. There sure have been plenty of nights I wish I'd stayed in bed, but either you do it or you don't. If you get tired of doing it, leave, and I think it's getting close to that time. I mean, just an amazing, amazing, uh, I guess, view of a modern fire chief, or and even that wasn't a modern fire chief back then, but man, that is so very close to how I feel today about about fire chiefs in general. It seems to me that their only goal in life is to be managers and that if they really wanted to be firefighters, like they wouldn't have taken that fire chief job. And I know that's 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 a broad generalization, right? But I think a lot of it's true. Like a lot of them are looking to be, they're using the fire service to be appointed to political positions and not to actually be firefighters. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, we need fire chiefs that want to be fire chiefs. We don't need fire chiefs that want to use this as a springboard to other things. We need fire chiefs that want to be fire chiefs, that want to run the fire department, not reduce our state, like be a benefit to us. Not and, and just seems to me that like so much of the emphasis is not going to fires, all these political things. And, and we even said it all the way back in the beginning of this episode that you still got to go to fires. If you're not going to fires, then the guys in the field really probably don't even care about you. It's just the truth. They don't really care. They don't really care. You know, like, oh, thanks. You know, you know, I mean, it really, it really just doesn't register to them. They're the ones out there getting beat up. They're the ones out there getting their, getting it, uh, getting torn down and they're tearing their shoulders up and their knees up. They don't really care about your next meeting. Uh, you know, and just, it seems like that's where it, 
the fire service is going. And, and, it, and it's caused a lot of good firefighters to, to lose their way and, and start going these routes because it's the only way they can get in charge. And then when they get there, it's so ingrained in them that, they, that they're now they're political people. So it just really, really, really is tough to deal with. Um, and it really like just shows like where we're really at as a fire service. And it's just disheartening a lot of times. It really is. It's disheartening for me to see what the, our leadership, like the, the fire chief position used to be so revered and now it's just a political appointee that goes to meetings and, you know, you never see fire chiefs out of fires. Like you just don't. And, and I'm not talking about just specifically my fire department, um, you know, and again, I've seen my fire chief at fires. Like, so this isn't like a specific thing, but you just, t- a specific thing about any one person. And if anybody thinks it is they're they're, they're internalizing it because they, maybe they feel bad. I don't know. But this isn't a specific knock on any fire chief. It's just something I send. I tend to see, uh, just with where I, 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 when I make my travels and I and I go all over the country doing firefighting things. It's just like you know, you see these guys. You see these guys that are that are they're managers, and that's why they view themselves. And it's just and it and it pisses me off. It, that's not what a fire chief is supposed to be. And that's not what a fire chief goal should be. It's not what any of that should be. It's not what, it's just not what any of it should be. It's not what any of it, we shouldn't be doing any of that. That's not what the fire service is about. It's not what any of it is about. Um, as we start to wind down, I'll leave you with this. And again, this is a, uh, another little long portion here, um, from the chapter who's running this show, this here show. And uh, it talks about basically the end of Leo Stapleton's career. And it talks about some of the things that, uh, talks about some of the things, uh, you know, again, some of those commentary on, on modern fire chiefs and then just commentary on where the fire service is going. And then kind of just, you know, what you should be doing. And, and also when it's, when you got to know when it's time to go. Um, so again, page 290 from uh, who's running this here show. There's probably a time coming in the still distant future when a computer will be able to run a fire better than a chief officer, although it'll probably be down when the most critical information is needed. When when that day arrives, however, the chief who understands leadership will utilize all the information he can get. But if he's smart enough to do so, he should also know enough to be physically present at the scene of the incident and stand at the point of danger with his firefighting force. He can have a nice young clerk feed him whatever the printout says, but his visibility and presence is at least as important as the Wang or IBM. The guy who stays at the computer may think he's in touch, but he's not. He may also think he knows everything, but he doesn't as far as leadership and firefighting knowledge goes. While cliches are usually distasteful and written by non-firefighting intelligence, one they should memorize might read, Those who don't go, don't know. They only think they know. The guy who knows what it's all about will respond to the worst incidents as well as the best. The ones on the coldest nights as well as the warm ones. He will respond on Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, Labor Day, and all the times when people who are working the tour field are being neglected. The same guy will always wear the same gear he requires the Jakes to use and make no special rules for himself because he's the boss. 
He will enter buildings to determine their safety for the operating force. He will go up in aerial towers, climb ladders, and appear basic, physically brave, even though he may not be so. He will not hesitate to praise a member or a unit for a job well done, but he will also be sure to tell them when he thinks they screwed it up. He will keep in mind that they don't all have his experience, and remember he probably did just as badly when he was learning the trade. Experience is so very important, but it doesn't always teach how to lead. There's some old experienced guys and some young smart guys who will never get the message, just as there are plenty young and old who can inspire firefighters to perform the most hazardous jobs willingly. The ideal leader in the fire service is someone who's intelligent enough to understand that he doesn't know all the answers and never will, but he will make every effort to learn all he can about the business by reading everything available that will expand his knowledge and by continuing to respond to fires and emergencies until his part of the game is over. Finally, he should be able to judge when it's time to wrap it up. It is really tragic to see a guy who thinks he's irreplaceable hanging on till they lug him away. He should realize that the next guy will be smarter, younger, and certainly better looking, and will have a bunch of refreshing ideas that will improve on what he's done during his tenure. And on and on. The photographs of those pre predecessors with the mustaches and beards mean there were plenty here before you just as there will be plenty more in the future. There's an old song from a Billy Barnes review that had an intriguing title. It was called, Have I Stayed Too Long at the Fair? Leave before the answer becomes yes. And again, that's at the very end of the book from the chapter, uh, who's running this show here, from the book Commish, pages 290-291. And... Uh, it seems like a great place to end it. Seems like a great place to to end it. Seems like a great place to to end this chronicling. And I only got to ever see Chief Stapleton once. It was at Firehouse Expo. I couldn't even barely get close to him. I was probably 16, 17 at the time, and he was signing books. And it was just such a long line. But I got to actually actually see him, um, and just the way he was holding court, and just the way that. People swarmed around him, just says everything you need to know about the guy. And again, he was had the foresight or, or just gumption to put his entire job and life into several books that thankfully we have at our disposal to learn from. And so I cannot thank Chief Stapleton enough for just – being a part of the fire service and being the leader that he was. And, and again, never having actually physically met him, just inspiring so many people and inspiring me to be better and, and to try to, to live up to that example. Um, and if you even come halfway close to the example of, of chief and commissioner and firefighter and fire officer that he was, then you're probably doing okay. And so uh, rest in peace, Chief Stapleton. It was uh, an honor to read your books. It's an honor to cover them on this podcast. And, it was just an honor to even glance at you as a 17-year-old kid signing books at uh, the Firehouse Expo on the floor of Baltimore. So that's all we've got for this episode. No uh, no sponsorship, no, uh, no sponsorship messages, no any of that. You guys know you can go back through the other episodes and, and thank the companies that support me. We'll get back to that in the next episode, but with just this episode – 
honoring Leo Stapleton. I don't want to tarnish it like that uh, at the end of it. And I hope those guys understand um, the reasons why. And, and I think they do because they're firefighting companies. They're owned by firefighters. Uh, so with that being said, I'll leave you with how we normally do. Make sure you're spending one hour in the day in the library reading something. Pick up 30 years on the line. Pick up commish. Reading something about our trade. Spend 30 minutes. Spend an hour in the gym working on your physical fitness. And spend an hour every day working on some sort of hands-on training. Putting your hands on the tools and skills that we need to do our job and do them to the level that Chief Stapleton expected us to. You do that. You'll become a pretty phenomenal firefighter. I guarantee it. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay aggressive. I'm out.